If you have your Bibles, and I pray that you do, and if you do not, there is a pew Bible in the pew before you. I would encourage you and exhort you and tell you and ask you. Please open to 2 Kings chapter 1. 2 Kings chapter 1 is found on page 307 of your pew Bible. By way of context, some of us are visiting. We do want to extend a welcome to the Morins and the Lewises and extended family and others who are visiting today. We've been looking at the life and ministry of the gospel of Elijah as it's found for us in the book of Kings. It's about the ninth century B.C. Spiritual darkness is over the land of the northern kingdom. Apostasy is rampant. But there is some good news. The good news is that the evil king Ahab is dead. It's good news when evil is extinguished. When evil is liquidated. When evil will be no more. But there is an adjacent bad news. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, of Jezebel, is now on the throne. And as the saying goes, the fruit doesn't far fall from the tree. We learn in chapter 21 of 1 Kings, this is the, the editorial comment regarding Ahaziah, the king that we're going to look at this morning. Ahaziah did what was evil in the sight of the covenant Lord Yahweh, walking in the way of his father and mother. He served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father and mother had done. Well, there is good news. We're not home yet, so to speak. There's still a wicked king on the throne. So let's listen now as we give attention to God's holy word in 2 Kings chapter 1. 2 Kings chapter 1. Title of the sermon, The Fire Falls Again. This is God's holy word. After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord Yahweh said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up, meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to him, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord Yahweh, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers returned to the king, and he said, to them, why have you returned? And they said to him, there came a man to meet us and said to us, go back to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord Yahweh, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Baalzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. He, that is Ahaziah, said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? 
They answered him, he wore a garment of hair, or he was a man who was the owner of much hair, or had much hair, with a belt of leather about his waist. And he, Ahaziah, said, it is Elijah, the Tishbite. Then the servant, or then the king, sent to him a captain, that is to Elijah, a captain of 50 men with his 50. And he went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Again, the the king sent to him another captain of 50 with his 50. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is what the king, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Again, the king sent the captain of a 50 with his 50. And the third captain of the 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah. And entreated him, O man of God, please let my life and the life of these fifty servants of yours be precious in your sight. Hold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of the fifty with their fifties. But now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord Yahweh said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he, Elijah, arose and went down with him to the king and said to him, that is to the king, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So he, Ahaziah, died according to the word of Yahweh that Elijah had spoken. Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? The grass withers flower fades, but the word of the living God, it abides forever. Let's seek his face and ask him to bless the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts. Oh, Father, you who are the fear of Isaac, the friend of Abraham, the friend of sinners, who delights in showing mercy, but by well no means clear the guilty. Come in this hour. Give us clarity. Give me cogency and courage and wisdom like Elijah to fear no man that we might leave this place 
rejoicing with trembling. We pray in your holy name, in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. As a minister, I have the honor of being called to come to the bedside of the dying when the hour strikes. I, I truly do consider it one of my highest privileges to be, as it were, a, a midwife in a way to see you leave this life as you are ushered into eternity. But I will say this, there is a vast and remarkable difference at being at the bedside of a Christian preparing to enter glory and being at the bedside of an unbeliever who has no hope. It doesn't get any more real than an hour, the hour of one's death. Right, we talk a lot in our culture, you know, you need to be authentic. Well, I, don't, I don't think you can be any more authentic than you can be at the hour of your death. Time for games are over. You see, friends, we, we live in a world, though, that turns to everything and anything. When a man stops believing in God, said G.K. Chesterton, He doesn't then believe in nothing. He believes anything and everything. He just opened the plethora of the gods, so to speak. You see, in our secular and relativistic age, we're told that all roads lead to God. And the most important thing is for the individuals to be true to themselves, to to find your true self. We're told, you know, the most important thing is for you to do you. You know, do you. Be you. Just make sure you do that. But this morning, I want to ask you, what if that's not true? What if that's not true? What if there is really only one way to God? What if Proverbs 14, 12 is true? There is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end leads to death. What if John 14, 6 is true? When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father except through me. So I ask you, this morning, to whom will you entrust your life and soul to when you're on your deathbed? To whom will you seek in your final hour, in your final day? Text before us, we find a man who should have known the correct answer to that question. Ahaziah, king of Israel. And unfortunately, when asked by Elijah, is there not a God in Israel, he didn't answer correctly. Not because he didn't know the correct answer, but rather he he chose not to. He was hardened in sin. He, like his father before him, were men who were often reproved and continually reproved. 
soon found themselves without remedy. They were beyond the day of hope. Ahaziah was hardened in his sin, and as a result, he died in his sins. The good news in Jesus Christ is we don't have to die in our sins. Now, this story, no doubt, you know, if I don't speak to the elephant in the room, right, in, in some ways, it's, it's shocking, isn't it? Right? Isn't it beyond the sensibilities of the 21st century? Aren't we too sophisticated for this? To learn it? Aren't, aren't we just too smart to believe that this actually happened? Many scoff. Many think it primitive, right? This is just the, uh, the beginning of the evolution of Yahweh until he became the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, a New Testament God that's a nicer, more cuddly, you know, friendly God. Believe it or not, some commentators try to take the edge off, take, try to take the fire. Out of the text. But the word of God is clear. In the New Testament, the living God is a consuming fire. It's an awful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Apart from Jesus Christ. Not because his, his anger is going to fly off the, the hook, so to speak. He's just irrational in the way he demonstrates. No, his, his anger and his wrath is measured. It's perfect justice. It's beautiful. And it's good. And in heaven, we're going to sing the praises of his wrath as his justice will be displayed when every ill and evil will be gone. Let's look at the text, and let's pray and ask God to keep the fire, that the pastor won't take the fire out of the text. That's the temptation, to fear you, rather than fear the God who breathed it. So, the first point, there are just two. Looking for salvation in all the wrong places, or all the wrong ways. And then secondly... Judgment followed by mercy. That mercy is extended. So first, looking for salvation in all the wrong places. In verse 1, we're told that after Ahab died, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now you might think, well, that's an interesting point, but what, is, what relevance does it have? We might be tempted to read over that quickly and miss the pastoral nugget, I believe, that God has for us. You see, friends, Yahweh, the covenant Lord of Israel, sought to get Ahaziah, the king's attention, politically. Moab was a vassal state of Israel. And Yahweh was causing tumult in the life of Ahaziah, seeking to get his attention. But unfortunately, Ahaziah is undeterred in his wickedness, and he continues in his unbelief. But what I want us to know is this, that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. He doesn't. He doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. He will often litter the sinner's way with roadblocks of trials and hardships seeking to get their attention, to awaken from their stupor. Awake, O oh sinner! Right? He will do this. Through providence, 
You see, he's a jealous God. He, he's jealous for his image bearers. One commentator said, jealousy, the jealousy of God, right? We typically think pejoratively and negatively of jealous. No, jealous, there's a good jealousy. The jealousy of a, a man for his beloved wife and a wife for her husband. But you see, with God, jealousy is love on fire. It means something. It has value. It has passion. Passion. In order to be loved like this. Right? We are loved like this by God. He, he loves with his passion. A dying passion. Literally. But we're told providentially one day, we're told in an act of symbolic fallenness of the northern kingdom itself, the king falls through the lattice in his second-story palace there in Samaria. Now, a lattice, those of us, you know, that's just one of those things that looks a little bit like this. What was it doing there, and what was he falling through it? I don't understand. I don't know. But he falls through it. The king is now seriously injured, and he's nervous about what will become of him. Will he, will he convalesce? Will he recover? Or is this the end, right? He's having this existential angst. He's in the crosshairs of death, and he's wondering, is, am I going to survive this? He's gone to the oncologist, and he says, sir, it's stage four. He's uneasy, naturally, right? You see, friends, our lives are fragile, there's but a step between us and death. The, the psalmist measures our life but a handbreadth. Matthew Henry, who's always a good go-to, says this, a man's house is his castle. That's what Ahaziah thought. He thought he was secure and safe as he sat there in his lazy boy right before he fell through the lattice. But Henry goes on. But his castle cannot secure him against the judgments of God. It will not secure you to have a presumption and to presume on God's grace and mercy. You see, King Ahaziah has a heightened sense of his own mortality. It's one thing to say, right? You'll hear me say it. We're, we're just all cut flowers, right? It's just a throwaway sometimes. It's, well, yeah, right. That's, yeah, okay, I get it. I'm a cut flower. I'm not organically related to the ground, at least not directly. It's been cut. I get it. But it's another thing to feel it. It's another thing to have the angst, to be on your deathbed wondering, am I going to recover? Now, some of you know this. Some of this. Some of you have been there. Some of you have been right to the cusp, wondering, asking yourself, am I going to recover? Well, that's where Ahaziah is. But notice what happens. The king gets religion, right? He's not an atheist in a foxhole. He gets religion. The only problem is it's not the biblical kind. It's not the biblical kind. It's not based on the revelation of Yahweh and the covenant Lord in his word. 
That earlier confrontation on Mount Carmel between Baal and the covenant Lord had not moved the needle very much in the king's heart in exposing Baal and proving the power of Yahweh. So if you don't learn that the iron is hot by touching it, what do you do? You, you touch it again. Well, that's what happens. If you don't learn that God is a consuming fire that judges sin, you didn't learn it the first time when the fire fell, then the fire will fall again. And rather than seeing God's hand in trying to get his attention in Moab's rebellion and his own fall, the king tramples underfoot the first commandment by sending out his messengers to seek the help of the god of Ekron. Now, Ekron is in Philistia. Beelzebub, literally the Lord of the Flies. What? Yeah, that's what it means, literally in Hebrew. Lord of the Flies. Who would seek a God who's the Lord of the Flies? The Lord of Insects. He wants to know whether he's going to recover. Now, church, just pause for a minute. Here is Israel's king seeking out Goliath's God. How'd that go for Goliath? He must have forgot. His parents didn't read in the story, you think? I think. He missed it. He didn't, wasn't nurtured and read the word of God in his home. Ahab never opened, cracked the Bible and read it to Ahaziah. You see, things are getting progressively worse in the northern kingdom. Rather than seek the Lord of glory, Ahaziah seeks the Lord of the flies. You see, saints, King Ahaziah is placing all his hopes, all his fears in the pagan god of Philistia. All in violation to the law of God. Exodus twenty two twenty. Whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. Ahaziah had witnessed both the severity and mercy of God to his father. Yet it did very little to turn his feet from evil or soften his heart toward God. Beloved, when staring death in the face, particularly your own, it's not time to play games. It's not time to toy with functional saviors. I can honestly tell you as a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ who stood and prayed with the dying, not one single person, not one single precious soul ever brought up in that hour their 401k. They never spoke to me about what the market did today. Not one time, not one time, not one time. Whom will you seek when death draws nigh? The temptation is to look to everything and anything but the living God. Yahweh, the covenant Lord, though, has seen enough. He takes the violation of the first commandment very seriously. Did you hear that? God takes sin seriously. Now, you might not, I may not, but God does. And a sovereign, merciful intervention is called for, and that's exactly what we see happen. In verses 3 to 4, the angel of the Lord summons Elijah, this wild man, right? You can only imagine, burlap bag, leather belt, 
facial hair just rocking. I'm serious. A man's man, really, if there ever was one. Right? He summons Elijah to intercept Ahaziah's messengers on the way to, in, to inquire of Baal as they go. Elijah obeys and orders the messengers to tell the king, Is it because there's no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Baal's above, the God of Ekron? You shall not come down from the bed on which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Now don't miss the fact that though the word is not the word that Ahaziah wanted to hear, but nonetheless it was a merciful word. Don't miss that. It's a merciful word when, when God sends the prophet. You see, God isn't done pursuing the king. Ahaziah could have been killed immediately, but God spared him. He could have been smoked right then and should have been. Saints, God in his mercy told Ahaziah something very few people know, that his death was imminent. That's a mercy. Don't miss the mercy of the living God. This alone should have moved the king to humble himself before the Lord. God was graciously giving Ahaziah time to reflect, an opportunity to repent and such an opportunity should never be taken for granted. God doesn't owe us such mercy. You think God owes you something? Owes me something? He owes us nothing but the judgment of God. So how would Ahaziah respond? Mercy was calling. Providence was calling. His kingdom was an upheaval. Politically, it was a mess. It was a shambles. He is lying on a bed, getting ready to die. And now the prophet had been given to him. How would he respond? Well, secondly, a judgment followed by mercy. That's the second point. Ahaziah's messengers no soon leave the king's side, that they return to convey the king that a man came to meet us who told us to return to the king and say to him in verse 6, is there because there's no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Now Ahaziah has an idea who this might be. He's heard a little bit, right? He starts, the messengers start to describe him. Ahaziah knows it, right? It's, it's Ahaziah the Tishbite. Almost like in the Seinfeld episode, right? When Jerry refers to Newman. Ah, Newman! You know, he does that. It's oh, the tish, Elijah the Tishbite. I know who it is. That troubler of Israel, that destroyer. He never has anything good to say about me. Tragically, the king has rejected, though, the intervention, right? Matthew Henry, no external alarms will startle and soften secure sinners, but rather exasperate them. Let me read that again. No external alarms will startle and soften secure sinners, but rather exasperate them. We see this, do we not? You, you preach the gospel, you begin to share it, and what do people do? Oh, just as I am, the crowd, they just beat them away. No, no, they start to grind their teeth. We will not have this Jesus of Nazareth rule over us. You give us Barabbas. You see, that's what you'll do. That's what you did. 
That's what I did before mercy came calling. And left to yourself, left to your sin in Adam, that's what you'll do. That's not very flattering, is it? I'm not here to flatter you or to tickle your ears. I'm here as a watchman on God's wall. Just like Elijah. To tell you the truth. In rage, Ahaziah dispatches his army to bring Yahweh's prophet and to bring the word under control. Right? You got to silence it. We can't have this word. It's disruptive. It's not pleasant. It doesn't make me feel good. So you got to silence it. You got to liquidate it. You got to exterminate it. You got to snuff it out. Because you will not have the word of God in your sin. See, when you don't want to put it in your heart, right? you don't want to hear it, you'll silence it. And saints, what we have here is another showdown between the false god of Baal and the Lord of glory, the king of Israel. God's true, God, the true king of Israel. Again, we'll see the God who answers by fire. So he sends out first, the first captain with 50 men. And he finds Elijah on top of a hill. Now, isn't that interesting? He finds him sitting on top of a hill. Now, stop and think. Do you think it was Carmel? I don't know. The text doesn't say. Think about that. You think maybe he's sitting on the top of Mount Carmel where the fire had fallen once before? I don't know. The captain calls, O man of God. This is the king's order. Come down, Elijah answers. If I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed them all. Matthew Henry, having ignored and they rejected the fire that fell on the sacrifice at Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18, the fire falls once again, not on the sacrifice, but on sinners themselves. Beloved, you would think that after losing 51 men you would have gotten the king's attention. But no, that's not how sin works. That's not how the the wicked heart of men work. It only hardened his heart. It only intensified his desire to silence the prophet even more. Like Pharaoh, God gave overtures of mercy, and rather than receive the mercy extended, rather than call out to the true and living God, he hardens his sin. So the king dispatches another 50. This time the captain intensifies his call. Not only come down, but notice he puts the adverb on it. Come down quickly. Again, the fire falls. Now surely King Hezekiah has gotten his message. But if sin is anything, it's irrational. Sin is the most irrational thing that an image bearer can do where we exchange the truth of God for a lie. And you get the feeling, don't you, that Ahaziah would have kept sending men until his whole army was depleted. His heart was so hardened in sin. So another captain and 50 were sent. But the third captain, unlike King Ahaziah and the first and second captain, was a little wiser. Right? When hubris won't work, you might want to try humility. Right? You might want to humble yourself, and that's what happens. But can you imagine the third captain there sitting in the barracks, 
getting the order. Maybe you got a text message. It's from King Hezekiah. I want you to take 50 men and go to the hill where Elijah is. Where the previous 102 men were smoked. I want you to go to that hill. But he knows what happens, right? He, he knows. He knows all of this. Right? Talk about being caught between the sword of the king and the fire of God. The captain reasons like David. Better to fall into the hand of God, for his mercy is great, than the hand of men. So he says, I'm going to take my chances with the mercy of God, this covenant mercy of God. He's clearly terrified. He approaches trembling. And as he approaches, he falls on his knees and he pleads in verse 13, Oh man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Fire destroyed the first two groups, but now let my life be precious to you. And let me just say this. Right in this, this very therapeutic age in which we live, don't fall into the mistake that thinking that there is something wrong with godly terror. That fear is not a bad word. It's okay to fear things. First and foremost, God should be your fear. True terror, as we see here, is saving terror. Let me give you an example. George Whitfield, the great evangelist, I know some of us have a little qualms with Whitfield, but he's preaching in Yorkshire. England, 1756. After praying, he mentions his text. His text is Hebrews 9, 27. It's appointed unto men once to die, then the judgment. He commences to begin the exposition of the word of God. All of a sudden, there's this disturbance out in the crowd, right? The crowds have gathered outside. The church can't contain the throngs of people who want to get in to hear the word of God. Oh, that we might see something of that in our day. Revival. Well, they go to address the disturbance. Come to find out, someone in the crowd had died just then, in that moment. Well, they reconvene, they get everything... Whitfield's a man with a mission. He's on point. He's not going to let that deter him. If anything, that's just going to fuel his sermon even more. Again, he reads the text, Hebrews 9, 27. It's appointed unto men once to die, then to judgment. And lo and behold, there's another shriek in the crowd. This happened. Faith Cook records this in her wonderful book by Banner of Truth. You can read more about it. Faith Cook. Someone else passed away. Once again, Whitfield stands behind the pulpit. The congregation, there's a hushness. There's a stillness over the people of God. He reads the text for the third time. It's appointed men to die once and then face the judgment. And you think to yourself, do you think he had their attention? I think he had their attention. Right? Like the hymn writer says, it's grace that's taught my heart to what? Fear. To fear. 
to fear the Lord, to rejoice with trembling. Well, after the third captain and his 50 men were spared, the angel of the Lord instructs Elijah, Elijah, it's safe now. Right? Don't miss that. It's safe. God is protecting his prophet. Now he's going to send his prophet back to King Ahaziah. And he goes to King Ahaziah, and he looks him right in the eyes. You're talking about having courage. He looks right into King Ahaziah's eyes, and he says, Thus says the Lord Yahweh. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you go and seek and petition the God of Dagon, right? The God, the Baal Elkron of Philista? You shall surely not come down from your bed, but you shall surely die. And verse 17 tells us, So Ahaziah died according to the word of Yahweh that Elijah had spoken. Now you think, now this gives us pause and it causes us to tremble and it's a solemn text, right? It's not funny. It's, it's, there's nothing jovial about it. But it should also cause us to rejoice knowing that not only are his warnings sure, but his promises are also sure. They're just as reliable just as reliable is John 3.16, that God so loved the world, whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You can have eternal life today. Today is the day of salvation for you to look and trust in Jesus Christ. You can bank on it. God's word is sure. John 3, rather John 6.37 all who come to me, I will no wise cast out. Well, you don't know what I've done. You're right, Pastor. Remember, I don't know what you've done. But you know what? That's not what's important. I know what he's done. I know what he's done in Jesus Christ. He's provided an atoning sacrifice for your sin. He's provided a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. That you might escape the wrath of God. Now, many, again, as I circle back and close this out this morning, many say this is a troubling passage. It's primitive. It's unbecoming of the God of the New Testament. But remember this. Ahaziah could have asked for mercy, but he didn't. The fire fell. And we know in the Word of God that the fire would fall even once again. Mark 15. Jesus, on Good Friday, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he's on the cross from noon to 3. He's suffering. He's in exile. He's in the far country, as it were, of sin and judgment. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he takes Psalm 22 upon his lips. And some of the crowd says he's calling for Elijah to bring fire and rescue him. But, beloved, we know that Elijah did not come, but the fire still fell on that Good Friday. And it fell on the Lamb of God for sinners. He bore your sin, sinner. 
He paid the price. It is finished. He cries from the cross. Therefore, anyone be in Christ, there is now, therefore, no, no condemnation for you. That should send your heart to singing, your feet to moving, even as a Presbyterian. That's good news. That's the message of the gospel. You see, the holy, righteous fire of God's judgment fell on the Son of God, but it need not fall on you. So whom will you seek this morning when death comes? Will you be like Ahaziah? Will you seek through the functional saviors of the world? The God of Ekron, the, the God of Dagon, the materialism, your, your 401k, your whatever it is you're seeking in? What pedigree, what resume will you be holding fast to on the day of your death? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. There is only one way to God, and that's through Jesus, the God-man himself. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. You see, a word of mercy can be found. Just ask the third captain. There's mercy in the text. He found it. Because he, he went the way of the sinner. He, he prostrated himself before the word of God, and he asked for mercy, and mercy was granted. Ahaziah refused. Have you refused? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called on him to save you from your sin? For you see, the wrath of God is coming once again. Even still, there's going to be another fire that falls. 2 Peter chapter 3, you can read all about it this afternoon. A fire is going to fall again on the last day. Will you be found in Jesus Christ? Will I pray? Our Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you that you love us enough to confront us in our sin, that you cannot tolerate idolatry in the hearts of your people just as any loving father would not tolerate for a moment any type of wickedness or misery or sickness in the life of their child and would do everything in their power to wash that away, to make it go away for their child. So, Lord, you have made it go away for us, not by excusing sin, but by providing a sin-bearer, Jesus Christ, that saves us from the wrath that's coming on the last day. So, Lord, we praise you. We thank you. We thank you that it is the love of God, the fear of God that's taught us to sing and to praise all the glory, all the honor, all the majesty that it might be unto your name, both now and forevermore. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.